0: Hi, I'm Tatiana Antonelli and you're listening to Forward Talks by Groombook. I would like to thank our partners RSpace Space for their support. RSpace Space is the first co-working community designed to connect humans with nature. Find out more at rspace.work. Oceans are the lifeblood of planet Earth and all life on it. They flow over nearly three-quarters of our planet, hold 97% of our water and produce 70% of the oxygen in the atmosphere. Basically, for over 10 breaths we take, seven of them come from the ocean. Oceans provide us with food, jobs, life and entertainment. June 8th is World Ocean Day. And to help us understand what is being done around the world to protect our oceans and the initiatives you me and companies can take who better than ceo of the world ocean council paul althos paul has been in and around oceans most of his life growing up in the philippines hawaii and in southern california he started his career as a marine scientist focusing on coral reefs and has worked in over 30 countries and with UN agencies, industry associations, NGOs and foundations, including the United Nations Environmental Programme and the Nature Conservancy Asia-Pacific Marine Programme, where he originated the famous Coral Triangle concept. He later served as Deputy Director for the Global Marine Programme at the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And finally, in 2009, became the founding CEO of the World Ocean Council.
1: What we do at the World Ocean Council is bring together leadership companies from different sectors. So the ocean business community, as we call it, is made up of a whole series of of ocean users. So shipping, fishing, offshore oil and gas, offshore renewable energy, aquaculture, ports, uh, desalination, many kinds of industries... Uh, and what they all have in common is that they are ocean industries. Many of the uh, environment and sustainability issues that are affecting the ocean are multi-industry in nature, so no one company or even entire industry sector can solve many of the ocean problems. It's a three-dimensional, dynamic, global ecosystem, and so that's why we always say ocean in the singular, World Ocean Council. Uh, because it is one connected up ocean, and it 's one also one ocean business ecosystem, and so we uniquely bring together all of these industries, plus the the investment and and insurance and um, maritime legal community, to think and work collectively on these on these shared issues, and we have been recognized increasingly recognized and accredited to um, a growing number of United Nations agencies and other international organizations uh, because there had been this huge gap on the international scene uh, of a, an ocean organization to bring the business community together around sustainable development.
0: And what were the biggest challenges that were actually uniting these different industries?
1: Uh, well, we its it's a coalition of the willing approach. So it's people that when they understand the need and opportunity to work together, that, that drives their interest in being involved. For those that don't uh, really see that, that need initially, then there's been a level of awareness raising. Uh, sustainable development in the ocean is bigger and more complicated than just fixing their own company or their own industry's uh, issues. So, for example, here in the uh, in the Gulf... The the effects of inputs from uh, oil and gas industry, from the shipping industry, from the desalination industry. We need to understand and manage those impacts so that those industries can be um, not having an uh, an inappropriate impact on. The health of the marine ecosystem that then affects fisheries and affects aquaculture possibilities and certainly, of course, recreation, all of which is based on a healthy ecosystem and good water quality. So developing that understanding of the linkages and the need for the industries to interact together in a positive business um, development uh, and responsibility uh, implementation kind of way is really takes a while to, to, to work that out.
0: It's interesting that you talk about the region and the Gulf. Uh, recently, I found out that actually the Gulf of Oman, so all the area in between Oman and the Indian continent, um, hosts one of the biggest dead zones. And so I would love for, for you to, to explain a bit better what dead zones are and what is the impact, what could the causes be and, and if it's supposed to revert.
1: So dead zones are areas of the deep, ocean bottom, where oxygen is has become less available. And that means that the then life, the, the fish and others, cannot survive in that area because all the oxygen has been used up. Usually this has been in areas like the Gulf of Mexico or the Baltic Sea where there's a lot of nutrient uh, input from uh, municipal waste and sewage inputs or from nutrient runoff and fertilizer runoff, from agriculture. The dead zone in the Gulf of Oman uh, appears to be partly due to that uh, kind of input um, from some of the surrounding land. But also, it looks like with temperature increases, then there's less mixing of the the lower waters with the upper waters. And so you get stagnant waters at the bottom of, of what's called the water column. Uh, Around hovering above the seabed, and so uh, fish and other animals cannot survive where that oxygen is is not present. If the waters don't mix to bring in new uh, oxygenated water, then that dead zone can persist and grow. And it's, I think, really illustrative of the challenges we have to understand what's going on in the ocean, the fact that such a big dead zone has been discovered in the Gulf of Oman, um, and how ocean industries can contribute to the data collection that we need to understand those issues.
0: Paul talks a lot about driving initiatives for proper collection of data on the condition of the oceans. This is what the World Ocean Council's Smart Ocean Smart Industries program is designed to do.
1: In the Arctic, we have pioneered the gathering of leadership companies from various ocean industries to work together on sustainable development in the Arctic. And so a lot of challenges there, a lot of controversy uh, about if and how um, there should be industrial activity in the Arctic, which is, of course, changing rapidly with climate change and reduced uh, uh, sea ice and and so on. The specific um, uh, area of activity which is happening in the Arctic through our efforts and in other parts of the world is to... Get companies that have ships, fishing boats, oil platforms, aquaculture farms, etc., to have instrumentation, sort of sensors, data collecting uh, technology, on those those boats and those platforms that can collect data about the condition of the ocean uh, in the areas that they are going through with the ship or where they're stationed, if it's a platform. And they this can vastly increase. Our knowledge of the ocean. In fact, Sustainable Development Goal fourteen has a has a target that says increase ocean knowledge. They can do this in in three different ways. Uh, one is by, as I was saying, having sensors, instruments on the ship or the platform that collect data from the ocean. Uh, they can also, as part of that, have sensors that collect uh, data about the atmosphere above the ship. So a big part of our climate. Modeling need for the scientists is more information about what's happening in in the atmosphere above that 71% of the planet. There are eighty to 90,000 merchant ships um, moving around the world all the time, and a lot of them come here to Dubai. And so as they're moving from Europe to Dubai or from China to Dubai, they could be collecting data. Uh, I've mentioned that they can be collecting data by hosting on board a sensor. They can secondly help collect data by deploying uh, instruments. So putting instruments that government agencies can provide or scientific institutions provide into the water. And those instruments, often uh, one of the key ones is designed to actually sink down to the deep part of the ocean, collect data as it goes down, and then it comes back up. And then it sends the data off when it reaches the surface to satellites. And then it goes back down. And so this, this kind of profiling, as it's called, of, of the water column is hugely important. The challenge is we need to get those instruments out there. So there's governments and, and research institutions have a limited number of vessels, and it's very expensive to run them. At the same time, we've got major shipping companies moving around the world. So our role at the World Ocean Council is to to bring together, to harness that uh, partnership, develop that partnership, and harness the role of um, the industries that have those vessels. The the third way is by uh, contributing, uh, sharing data that they already have, uh, based on baseline surveys and things that they do. So uh, more for the um, the industries that have fixed installations, um, like the oil and gas industry, when they go to do their exploration uh, for oil areas uh, under uh, you know offshore oil and gas. They do very extensive environmental baseline surveys to uh, ensure that you know they have their environmental impact assessment permits and so on. Uh, that data is hugely important to the science community. Once the permitting process, for example, is done, that data is not commercially sensitive or valuable and rather than staying in the filing cabinets uh, and computers of the company, could be shared with the appropriate national and international science institutions, and we at the World Ocean Council have that relationship to um, form those partnerships and get that data to the right people. So there's a lot that uh, companies can be doing uh, to help us understand the ocean better, which then leads to better management and ensuring we've got a, a healthy ocean moving forward.
0: That's an incredible network made for collaborative work.
1: Absolutely. And so there are leadership companies here in Dubai and in UAE and in the Gulf that, that uh, we would, uh, we're working to get engaged in this Smart Ocean Smart Industries program. It's a real win-win. This contributes not only to this broader um, increase in ocean knowledge, but it has a very specific business value then that goes to the scientists and it goes to the the ocean modelers and the forecasting people that they can then better predict, for example, cyclones and hurricanes. Um, And that means reducing costs for companies because you can better prepare for those hurricanes. For example, if you're in a part of the world like the Gulf of Mexico, they have to shut down the oil rigs when the hurricane is coming. But the hurricane predicting says, well, maybe it's going to go you know, on this track or maybe that track. If we can improve that and you have to, at the company, can shut down the oil rig for one less day, that's a huge savings. Even more importantly, this better predictability of extreme weather events can save lives. Uh, this is where companies can be part of a virtuous circle more and better data that comes back around to better understanding ocean weather and extreme events and saving lives and saving uh, money. And that's, that's a, good, uh, a good relationship to have.
0: You were talking before you know, uh, about how you are asking ships and, and different entities to help you collect data. If you're getting any support to collect maybe data about marine debris and, and plastic pollution? Uh,
1: the first point to understand is, is that 80% of marine debris and, and plastic comes from land-based sources. So by far the most important thing is, to, is for um, people to work with their, their, their cities and their governments the waste management um, uh, industry and others to make sure marine de- what is becoming marine debris and ocean plastic stays on land uh, and doesn't get into the ocean. Um, in terms of what is in the ocean, um, a couple of things. One is to better understand the ocean plastic situation, particularly microplastics, we're working through our Smart Ocean, Smart Industries program to have uh, a flow-through sensor. Basically, as you're bringing water on board, it goes through, can go through instruments to collect data about oceanographic conditions, temperature, salinity, etc. You could also be um, collecting data on the distribution of microplastics in that water sampling but the technology isn't quite there yet. There's several efforts to do that so that as the water passes through, there can be um, uh, it's kind of a, probably a laser light beam that can detect microplastics. A lot of research needs to go on to develop and test that. That's understanding the scale of the problem. More importantly, maybe, is helping ensure that we reduce and avoid plastic getting in the ocean. And the key part for the ocean industries there is... The need for places to dispose of on land the the waste that is generated on board a vessel, um, and that solution is co- is is called port waste reception facilities. Basically, every port, or we need a network of reception facilities in ports, so that as obviously cruise ships being you know, the biggest uh, um, uh, concentrated source of, of, um, of waste streams uh, generated on a vessel, but also regular ships um, uh, as well as fishing boats, uh, oil tankers. Every vessel has a certain amount of, as you can imagine, there's people living on board. You're going to have you know, plastics and a little bit of hazardous waste. Um, there's food waste, et cetera. And what's required by the International um, Marine Pollution Treaties is that there should be a network of ports waste reception facilities. Not all ports, particularly in developing countries, have those facilities. And so the, the shipping industry and others, for the most part, want to do the right thing, but they need a place to dispose it. So it's like being in an office and wanting to recycle, but there's no recycle bins. So we need to have... Combined efforts between industry and governments, and particularly the port um, authorities and port agencies around the world, to have a viable network of these of these reception facilities. In
0: sustainability, we now we've been talking a lot about the environmental part. Um, there's also different aspects to sustainability and of course one side is the profit. We still need to have profitable businesses so uh, we don't want all these industries to somehow have to stop doing what they're doing but we also have the people aspect. 800 million people depend on the oceans. It's either fisheries or, or other industries but definitely they rely on the health of the ocean and I know that you have a big uh, interest, for example, in uh, empowering women in the different industries related to the oceans.
1: The World Ocean Council is the what we call now the the global blue economy business organization. So there are also, as you say, hundreds of millions of people who depend on uh, a healthy ocean, for particularly for food, from sustainable fisheries. And so these things are, of course, linked, that industry playing its role to help maintain and restore Ocean health that then can support fisheries and seafood production that is critical to uh, communities around the world, many of which are uh, low income or even you know with a high degree of poverty, where seafood um, is critical to their their providing the protein that they, that they need and, and you know basic survival and health, especially for, for women and children. If we just look at the the actual ocean economy then um, that there are men and women working in these ocean industries that are literally risking their lives and sometimes, unfortunately, losing their lives working in these difficult and dangerous industries. And for part of the awareness raising is for the general, for everyone, to understand that the the energy, the food, uh, and the transport that we rely on in modern society is is dependent on those men and women doing those sometimes difficult and dangerous jobs within the um, ocean industries then though there's a there 's a huge um, opportunity uh, that 's being worked on by many more progressive and forward thinking companies to increase the um, involvement of women at the world ocean council we have uh, an annual gathering of the, the global ocean business community around sustainable development. We call it the Sustainable Ocean Summit, SOS. Uh, last year it was held in Hong Kong. We had the first ever uh, global women's leadership in ocean sustainable development session and brought together uh, women CEOs from a variety of ocean industries to really help um, put the spotlight on the, um, the opportunity to get more women engaged in these industries, uh, we have a partner organization called WISTA. W I S T A Women in Shipping and Trade Association, particularly for the shipping and maritime industries. That's uh, really working. It's a it's a it's a volunteer network essentially of and has um, chapters in many different countries. We're also working to connect up young professionals across the globe in the various industries through what we call the Young Ocean Professionals Program. So those young professionals that are already part of existing um, uh, young professional organizations and societies, usually by sector, we are working on the sustainability issues to say, well, those of you that are interested in sustainable development... Uh, through us, we want to introduce you to your, your peers and colleagues in other sectors and in other parts of the world who are also the future generations of leaders uh, for these industries and for whom uh, sustainability is more and more an important part of um, what you want to achieve in your professional career. And we're here to help uh, um, accentuate that and connect you up and create a, a, a sustain- sustainability-enhanced um, A generation of of future ocean leaders.
0: So, uh, we as Gumbuk work um, a lot with DP World here in Dubai, and we are very uh, proud to see that their pillars are focused on uh, the oceans primarily and on women empowerment. So, what is the role of Dubai, for example, for the World um, Ocean Council?
1: So, we at the World Ocean Council are bringing together Companies that are leaders and working to address uh, sustainable development, and uh, have been very honored that uh, Dubai Ports World (DP World) has come on board uh, last year as as a member of the World Ocean Council, and we have uh, been also reaching out to other companies here in Dubai and in the uh, UAE to get involved in this collaboration and leadership and action on ocean sustainable development. Dubai is a a global uh, center and leader in maritime industries for shipping and and ports and offshore oil and gas and, uh, and other uh, areas. It's one of the most productive ports in the world in terms of uh, volume. It's uh, uh, and size. It's one of the largest in the uh, Middle East North Africa region. So it's got an important role to play and can be a real leader in. Um, in sustainable development, and certainly DP World uh, is at the forefront of that of that leadership here in Dubai. More companies and will be reaching out, um, uh, continuing to reach out to uh, the ocean and maritime industries uh, here in, in Dubai and, and UAE. Uh, and in fact, we uh, bring together the global maritime and ocean business community uh, to focus on sustainable development every year, at the Sustainable Ocean Summit, uh, which moves around the world. And we're looking for uh, future opportunities and and partners here in the region to help um, consider having the Sustainable Ocean Summit held here in Dubai, perhaps if uh, things came together well in late 2020 in association with Expo 2020. Would be an amazing opportunity for all of us Um, so we will we will be actively exploring that
0: so now you've been telling us uh, all the achievements of the world ocean council and all the future projects and programs and all the different activities you're running but there's one thing that i would like to ask is also something more personal Uh, an incredible project the coral triangle program and I would love, in a few words, for you to explain how you created this. What was your idea behind it, and the achievements?
1: In my in my previous work um, and efforts to help focus on priorities for ensuring we have a healthy and, and biologically diverse and productive ocean, um, a, going back a few decades, uh, I was. Putting together information, and this is again where data is so important to understanding uh, priorities. Pulling together information on the parts of the parts of the ocean that are most biodiverse, it showed that uh, without a doubt, the most biologically diverse part of the ocean is an area that's now called the Coral Triangle. And so I put this idea together. Uh, when you look at the the coral diversity, the fish diversity, mangrove, seagrass, um, and, and overlay all that, the area from the north of Australia up west and southern Indonesia up to the southern Philippines and across to Papua New Guinea was by far the most uh, biologically diverse, certainly shallow marine areas in the world. And so if there's going to be a focus on priorities, here's a part of the world that you can... Concentrate on conservation and protection because all of those species there, everything radiating, radiating out from there is a subset of that that concentration of species. And originally, we in fact called it the the coral bullseye because it's like the center, and everything is is radiating out from there. So I put these ideas together and presented it to several international organizations, and it and it just sort of took off, and became a a major focus that is carried on now decades later. And, in fact, in my work now, we're we're, uh, undertaking efforts to get the business community in that Coral Triangle region really engaged to make sure that they are understanding their impacts and and reducing those impacts on this uh, globally significant uh, part of the, uh, the marine ecosystem. And so I'm kind of coming full circle with my earlier work, uh, to now link in this, uh, what I consider by far the most important thing uh, I can do is to continue to engage the the global ocean business community on its leadership uh, in being uh, the 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 providing the solutions to um, what we need to ensure we have a healthy a healthy ocean in the Coral Triangle area and for the whole global ocean ecosystem.
0: Like Jacques-Yves Cousteau used to say, the sea is the great unifier, it's man only hope. As we celebrate World Ocean Day this week, we want to encourage everyone to take a minute and think about the impact our actions have on our oceans worldwide. And as companies, what we can do to contribute to improving the state of the oceans, from working directly with organizations like the World Ocean Council, but also in terms of working towards a plastic and waste-free environment. I'd like to thank Paul for joining us on this episode while he was in Dubai and sharing these great insights and initiatives with us. You can subscribe to our show in our favorite podcast player and it's Spotify and Angami. And visit our website, goombook.com for more information or follow us on social media. We'll be back next week with a new guest. See you then.